Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Okay, and welcome to Tax Tuesday. Hopefully you guys are having a great Tuesday out there. My name is Toby Mathis. And I'm Jeff Webb. And this is where you come to get annoyed by tax questions. Actually, Jeff, this is where you come to get annoyed by tax questions. So today we're going to have a lot of fun. We got a bunch of questions selected and we'll go through them and we'll answer all your other questions. Uh, there's in the in the chat. So you, here, here's the rules. In the Q&A is where you put a question that you want our people to answer for you. In the chat, you can uh, you can comment. You can tell us where you're from. You could you could harass. People always harass Jeff. Nobody ever harasses me. They love you. They're always, they're so mean. There was, we have two howdies, believe it or not. Howdy from Raleigh, howdy from Texas. That is bizarre. Hey, I have been missing an action last couple of calls. Sherry, you haven't been around. What's going on? What have you been doing else? Like there's, you're saying there's more important things than talking to us, traveling around, right? Uh, you can email your questions in during the week at uh, Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. There's no cost for this. You can just shoot them on in there. We'll get back to you somehow, some way. If you need a really detailed response, like something specific on your situation that requires analysis and more than just a quick answer to a question, then you'd need to be platinum. It's included in your platinum though. You could ask your questions. We, we ask you to do those through the platinum portal, which all you guys will know how to use. Who's making noises out there? I heard somebody. We have a whole bunch of folks on to help you, by the way. We got Matthew, Patty, Troy, Pio, Dana, Elliot, Christos, Dutch, and Ian. Like, what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, six accountants on, and we have the head of bookkeeping. So if you have a question, today's a good day to be on because you just have a lot of talent there and you can just ask your questions. We're not going to send you a bill. All right. It's fast, fun, educational, and uh, bringing drive-by tax knowledge to the masses. Opening questions. We've got a lot of questions to go through. I am considering investing in a short-term rental and managing this myself so I can take immediate bonus depreciation and offset my W-2 income. If I do this in the second half of the year, how long do I have to manage it myself before I can turn it over to a property management firm? Good thinking. I'm investing in the property in December. Can I manage it for one month to recapture my bonus depreciation? Good, Very good question. Good one to start off on. So we'll get to that in a second. Can I offset stock capital gains with stock losses dollar for dollar? I have capital gains of 100,000 and losses of 100,000. Can the losses cancel out the gains? We'll answer that one. Is there depreciation recapture on a business vehicle when it is sold or no longer used for the business? If so, is there a strategy to reduce or eliminate the amount of recapture? Boom, 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 boom. Three really good questions right out of it. So we'll get we'll jump into all this. I want to set up a Wyoming LLC to be the trustee of a land trust. The LLC will have two members. How does that impact annual filing since it is not a single member LLC? The purchase in the land trust will be cash and there is no income or loss for the LLC. It will simply act as a trustee. So yeah, there's, there is something to go over there. 
Inherited IRAs are distributions taxed no matter what, or can you shelter them with cost seg and depreciation from short-term rentals? Can you shelter with long-term rentals? Gosh, we've had good questions already today. I'm already excited to answer three of them, maybe. Hopefully Jeff can answer everything else. All right. I am a physician in a single specialty practice under an LLP. So sounds like East Coaster. I have set up my personal PLLC in the state is redacted. So we'll just say the state. Do I need to set up payroll and give myself a W-2? Good question. We'll get into that too. I am starting out in real estate investing. Welcome to the real estate investing world. I'm looking to start with short-term rentals. One property will be a joint venture and two to three will be individually owned by me. Will there be a difference in the way the taxes are paid on both? I was just thinking, well, the joint venture, when you have your lawsuits, I don't know if those, no, I'm just kidding. In real estate, come on, JVs, they're like, it's just like, uh, yeah, well, well, you'll learn. You're brand new in real estate, right? We just made two, hey, guys that are out there in, uh, what is this? Why are people already trolling me? If somebody says I look tanned. I think they changed the lighting in here because I'm about as pale and pasty as they come. All right, here we go. Well, actually, here, I was going to ask a question. In the middle of the opening questions, which we never do, I'm going to ask you guys, real estate investors out there with some experience, more than 10 transactions, what do you think of JVs, joint ventures with other people? Tell me in chat. I'll read them in a second. It'll be kind of fun. We just want to see how what you guys think of joint ventures. All right, we made $200,000 on our first flip. We closed in April 2022. How much should we put aside for IRS taxes? Would you happen to know how much we should put aside for state taxes as well. So, hey, we're already getting a good one. Avoid, no, no capital, no joint. No, no, no. Anybody who's done a few might have some strong opinions. We're not saying that you won't be successful. Anyway, like I've heard that people have gotten married off of Tinder. I just don't know if that's where I would go looking for my my, my spouse. I am a co-owner of a C-Corp. The C-Corp owns real estate which is the C-Corp's primary place of business since 2003. We would like to get the real estate out of the C-Corp and into the LLC. Is this feasible? What steps to be, need to be taken to uh, minimize tax consequences? Really good questions again. But now if somebody says, I've always invested by myself, but I'm doing it at my first JV, but now I'm scared. Again, I, like it's not a 100% guarantee. It's just that everybody who's been investing for a long period of time has their JV stories. Uh, there's some people that love joint ventures and they make money at it. I just, it's one of those favorite things for real estate investors is to beguile their, their, their tales of woe of the guy, the gal that takes the money or doesn't do anything or says, I'll do this. And then, you know, stole all the sheetrock and sold it out the back. You know, there's always these stories and you're like, what you knuckleheads. So make sure you're in control. That's all I got to say. And, and just because you deal with family member doesn't necessarily make it any better. <laughs> it makes it worse. Yeah, there's no loans between family members. There's only gifts. There are conflicting opinions about this question. What say you? I set up a series LLC, taxes a corp with 84 cells. So somebody's really got some stuff going on. Master filing, master OA, master EIN with 48 individual filings, 40, or excuse me, 80, not 48. 84 individual filings, 84 agreements. Do I need 84 individual EINs or can I roll up under the master EIN? 
Really good question. We will absolutely talk about that a little bit. I am a real estate investor and have a full-time W-2 job. I'm in the market for a new SUV. Historically, I have just deducted the appropriate mileage for my real estate projects. I was wondering if I got a vehicle and rented it out a time or two during the month with Turo or a similar company, how that would affect my situation. So really good questions today. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of jazzed. Don't always get jazzed on the questions, guys. You guys usually ask really good ones, but this one's actually, every one of those is pretty interesting. Hey, if you like bizarre tax questions or just you want to go to a good YouTube channel and subscribe. And by the way, you can live stream this. I think that's what it's called. Whatever they do live on YouTube. Oh, yes. Hey, Andrew, what is that called? Whatever you're doing on YouTube right now. We are live streaming to YouTube now. So it is live streaming. All right. So it's live streaming. Patty says it's a lie. Lie? Patty. Patty You are live. We are not live streaming. Patty's been home. She's on here. I don't know why. Stop being on here, Patty. You're supposed to be resting, but she can't help herself. But anyway, if you want to go to YouTube, I just made the arrow flash. I'm going to make it flash again. There it goes. That's really exciting. You can come on. And by the way, that's actually uh, the, that's no, that's not an accurate screenshot of what's going on today. There's just a bunch of videos on there that we upload. That's last week, I suppose, or two weeks ago. But we're always putting up new videos. Maybe I'll grab one from from today and throw up there. But there's always probably two, three a week that are coming up just because we really love putting out content. And then also the recordings of the Tax Tuesdays are on there too. So if you like these and you want to listen to them during the week, you absolutely can. All right. That doesn't mean that you don't attend live though, because then we get really sad when people don't attend live. But we love you guys watch, listen to the recordings. And if you're like some of my guys, they put it on, what is that called? Uh, 1.5 and they listen to it so that we sound like we're chipmunks. All right. I'm considering investing in a short-term rental and managing this myself so I can take immediate bonus depreciation and offset my W-2 income. If I do this in the second half of the year, how long do I have to manage it myself before I can turn it over to a property management firm? If I invested in the property in December, can I manage it for one month to capture my bonus depreciation? Jeff Rowe, what do you think? So managing it yourself, the short-term rental, good. Doing the cost segregation to do bonus depreciation, good. My one concern here is if he buys it in December, he can establish as a short-term rental. But what about the material participation test? He's not going to be able to meet the 100-hour test. So what Jeff is talking about is if you want your an ordinary loss, which this is really like you, you, there's, there's rental loss and then there's ordinary loss. Or uh, and then there's you know, ordinary loss, short-term loss from a right. from a trade or business. So the question is: Is a short-term rental does it count as passive rental, or oh. does it count as a trade or business? And the test is seven days or less. It is not a rental under the passive activity loss rules. It is just a trade or business. Mm-hmm. So once you check that test number two is. Did I materially participate in it? If I did not materially participate in the business, then it is still passive. It's Correct. just in the second prong of a business that you did not materially participate in. So it's just like being a silent owner in, in Jeff's pizza shop. We talk about that almost every every month. If Jeff had a pizza shop and I'm just silent money, I don't get an active loss. I don't get a non-passive loss. So it's really important that uh, we establish that we materially participate in it so that we get the loss. So what what this uh, individual is talking about is 
I know I can create a big deduction. Mm-hmm. And Jeff just mentioned bonus depreciation, cost seg, all that. What what is that in a nutshell? Uh, cost segregation is uh, I can't think of the other term I've heard it called, but you're actually taking a building and pulling out segments of it that are not actually part of the building. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cabinetry, flooring, wallpaper, paint, so on and so forth, your light fixtures, they're not needed to hold the building up. Mm -hmm. Uh, For that reason, they're segregated. They're put in shorter lives. Tangible property. Tangible property. Yeah. So they're shorter lives. And why that's important is you can bonus depreciate any life that's under 20 years. Yep. So in English, it just means that if we have a building, we can write off about 30% of it, of the building itself, not the land. Can't depreciate land, but it's no different than buying a computer. And because it's short term, I can write it all off. This year's the last year we can do this 100%. So it's a big loss. So if I bought a short term rental and I bought it for, let's say, 300000 I might be looking at a $80,000 deduction in year one, even though mm-hmm. I, you know, so that's a big deal. The question is, can I use it against my W 2 income? So this is what. We always get the doctors going and saying, hey, what do I do to lower my, my income? I'm getting killed here with W-2 income. Can I, you know, how do I, how do I do all this stuff? And they know about real estate professional and they know all these things, but they're like, that's not attainable for me. How do I get it? And this is one of the strategies. Right. The beautiful part about the one month when they're talking about at the end of the year is that with tangible property, it doesn't matter whether it's in service for one day you can take that bonus depreciation. So so it's just like people buying the Range Rover at the end of the year for their business because it's over 6,000 pounds and they're like, oh, I get to write it all off. And you're like 100% business use. So we know it's going to be short term. Mm -hmm. As long as you go through a couple of guests, there's really no set test for it. But as long as it's in service during December, you're good. What Jeff is pointing to is, did you materially participate? Seven tests, right? Yep. What tests might you be able to meet, even if you only had a week? There is another test that said, I did substantially all the services in that activity. There's no hourly requirement. So that's how you would have to do it. So if you were in December, so the, the, the top three tests, look at that, I went like that. Top three tests, I'm going to do it like uh, Inglorious Bastards, right, with it. And there's three. That's a movie reference in case I'm not <laughs> swearing just for no reason. But let's say that there's three. There's the, the ones that we see the most are I did everything substantially mm-hmm. all. I did 100 hours and nobody else did more than 100 hours. Mm-hmm. I did 500 hours and we count you and a spouse together if you're filing a joint return. Yep. So you'll be able to hit this. This is what you guys should all be doing. This is actually really, really smart is if, I, if you're a high income person, even if you might turn it into a long-term rental later, all we care about is this taxable year in 2022, when you acquired that property, was it short-term rental? If it is, it's not rental activity. It is trader business. Did you materially participate? If you did, you're good. You're fine as one. And you take that big old deduction and you move on, which is great. They're subsidizing your acquisition of your real estate. In fact, the government is telling you what to do. Please go out and buy more real estate. A uh, quick word about the cost segregation and bonus depreciation, because you mentioned that this is last year for 100%. Next year, it drops to 80%, but you should still be looking at that cost segregation. Yeah, cost seg, is, bonus depreciation is the last year for 100%. Yeah. yeah. Cost seg, you could do any year. And a cost seg is just saying, 
hey, my driveway is 15-year property. So I'm running it off over 15 instead of 39-year. If it's, if this is a hotel, if this is a short-term rental, it's 39-year property. So instead of 39 years, I'm running it off over 15. If I have right. a fence, that's 15-year property. If I have a cabinet, what is that, seven? If I have carpeting, it's five. You know, so you're just writing it off over a shorter period of time. So it's going to be great either way. Yeah, so even in a worst-case scenario, if bonus depreciation was gone completely, you could still accelerate your depreciation into those first five to seven years, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Somebody's asking a really good question here, by the way. They said, my San Francisco condo is 50% assessed on land and 50% improvement. Are there other methods to increase rental property basis? In your case, Leanna, I would be going with a uh, an appraiser and saying, I need you to break down what the land value is versus the improvement value. Yeah, what we're finding, especially in San Francisco, is they're buying crap properties for million plus, tearing them down because the land is worth so much more than the buildings are. So yeah, I think I'd ask an appraiser to see if you could get mm-hmm. a revaluation. And you could use any method that's in your best interest. So you won't be putting yourself in a worse position, like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. You're, the worst thing is you're getting an appraisal and you're, and you're paying for the appraisal. Best thing is they come through and give you a much better basis for the improvement. And right now, improvements are valued really high because everything's really costly to get done. Somebody says, question on that. If you're buying a crappy old short-term rental, should you do the cost seg and wait to remodel it until the next year? You could do it in the first year you buy it. You don't even have to make you don't even have to make an election to do a cost seg. You just got to know what the values are, right? Uh, yeah. If if I have time to get the the improvements, the renovation done in that first year, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. If I can still accomplish my short-term rental, get get it written it out. Yep. But if I choose just co- to do a cost seg and then I do an improvement, it's really easy to see what's the value of the five and seven and 15 year mm-hmm. property because you have invoices. You don't even really need to do a test at that point because you have a really good, like, hey, we got this thing. So I, I'm doing a cost seg. I'm saying, here's what's what. You're going to have to have an engineering study when you do the cost seg, even if it's crappy old short-term rental and they come in and they say, here's all this. And then you add to it. It just means that that's five, seven and 15 year property. So if you're somebody and your tax appetite is like this, I make okay money. I would love it if I got a $20,000 deduction, but I don't need a $100,000 deduction in year one, you know, or whatever the number is. Like I could use pieces. You might be better off doing the cost seg in year one and not doing the remodel until until year two, knowing that when you do the remodel in year two, you could spread that out over time. But you do have to do your bonus election in year one under that circumstance, right? No, I, I I think you could still do the bonus on those component parts in year two After? if they were added in year two. But it's just you'd still do it by the five, seven, and fifteen. Yeah. Yep. All right. So then that's so it would be one of those things where you sit down and you're actually, hey, what do I expect to make this year? What do I expect to make next year? If you've been pretty consistent, then if I'm in the hundred to fifty thousand dollar range, I'm like, mm-hmm, I want to shave that down a little bit, but I don't want to. I don't want to go to zero. I might just be okay with, hey, I just do a regular old cost seg. I do my improvements whenever. I don't want a huge chunk of deduction, but I would love to have, instead of $8,000 a year, I would love it if I had $25,000 a year of deduction, that type of thing. And in that circumstance, by the way, you're really close on those numbers to not even having to worry about real estate professional or anything like that. All right. 
spend a little bit of time on that one, sir. All I'm right. Sorry. This one, you could just do a one, one, one word answer. Can I offset stock capital gains with stock losses dollar for dollar? Just answer that one. Yes. I have capital gains of 100,000 and I'm assuming stock losses, but you know what they say about assuming, right? Assume, but losses of $100,000, can, can the losses cancel out the gains? Correct. Yes. They can. What if the losses, because it doesn't say capital losses, what if it's passive losses? Passive losses, unless you're... Well, no, we'll just say no. <laughs> you can't. See, this is just Toby being annoying to Jeff. We're assuming that those are stock losses. But let's say it's a twelve forty four loss. Then you hundred thousand dollars. Then you could use it. What if it's just ordinary loss from a trader business? Yeah, certainly. Year that. What if it's me trying to take a hundred thousand dollar losses because you suck at running a pizza shop, and I want to offset my. Yeah, that's going to be a passive loss to you. And then we wouldn't be able to use it. You're not going to be able to use it. See, this is we're, we're, this is called geeking out. All right, so the 100000 of stock loss, you can use it against any type of capital gains. So what if I have short-term capital gains, but I have long-term capital losses? Uh, they still offset, and whichever number is bigger is what gets carried over. And we want that, by the way, guys. Like, your gains would have been max taxed at 20%. Your losses are or excuse me, your short-term gains or would be max taxed at 37, right? So you want to use that long-term loss against your short-term gains. That's the trick. Don't use, please God, don't use your long-term capital losses or your uh, short-term capital losses against long-term capital gains because you're like getting half the, half the uh, horsepower out of it. Anyway, so we're just playing games with it at this point, but stock losses offsets stock gains. If we really want to get technical, I would say those losses, just make sure none of them are wash sale rule. Like make sure that they're actual realized losses. And uh, <laughs> yes, we're annoying. All right, let's see. Is there depreciation recapture on a business vehicle when it is sold or no longer used in business? If so, is there a strategy to reduce or eliminate the amount of recapture? So depreciation recapture works differently for a personal property, tangible property than it does for real estate. Is a car tangible property? Yes. Anything that's not real estate and is not uh, intangible is tangible personal property. Yep. So we talk about real estate and uh, depreciation recapture a lot where it may have a higher tax rate. That's not the case here. What happens is if I totally depreciate my vehicle and sell it or even trade it in for $10,000, I have a $10,000, we'll call it depreciation recapture, but it's a gain. Yeah. And that's all it is. You want to know what the the worst thing that could happen is you depreciate. So let's say that you're Mr. or Miss real estate agent, and you're talking to your accountant who says, let's buy the the Range Rover at the end of the year. We get the new Defender Mm -hmm. or whatever. We get something or better yet, let's do a a Tesla X. We're going to spend 130,000 bucks and we're going to take that as a write-off because it's over 6,000 pounds, right? We have this yep. 179 deduction and you do it right at the end of the year. So you have a hundred percent business usage because otherwise if you used it, whatever percentage, that's the amount of that deduction you could actually use. So they, they think they're really smart. And then the following year, you use it about a third of the time for business and two thirds of the time personally what happens to the $130,000 you wrote off in the first year? Has to be recaptured immediately. Uh, 100% of it? 
Well, not 100%. It's going to be the difference between straight line depreciation and yep. what you previously deducted. So I think the max is around 16 to 18,000 in first year if you do some bonus. Yes. So you would end up recognizing about 112,000 ish of that as ordinary income. Yep. So don't do that. We prefer, just Jeff and I, we tend to go do the reimbursement, please, until you know I'm using that thing. 80, 90% for business because at any point you fall out during that five years, you have recapture and it's ordinary. Now, business strategies to avoid the tax on this could be as simple as if it's a company truck or something, it's worn out, you trade it in. Yeah, you're going to have gain on that. You're going to have depreciation recapture. Mm-hmm. But if you're replacing that vehicle, it's it's going to get the pre- first year depreciation, if not bonus depreciation. So you can pretty much offset the game with any depreciation you take on the new vehicle. Mm-hmm. And somebody just wrote in, hey, I, I use my car solely for my business. You're okay. You're the exception to the rule. What the IRS asks is, do you have a personal vehicle? Mm-hmm. So when I have a business vehicle, they say, you know, is this used by somebody who's what, a 5% or greater owner? And do you have a personal vehicle? If you say yes, yes, you better, you better not be saying 100% business use. Yeah. Because they're going to say, no, there's no way that's all you did. They're going to want to ins- investigate that. It's it's when you go out and buy the Ferrari for your real estate business <laughs> and you say it's 100% use. So. Yeah, I bought a tank. <laughs> all right. So uh, is there a strategy to reduce or eliminate recapture? Uh, n- not really. Uh, like I said, you could replace it with a vehicle and use depreciation with the, uh, from the new vehicle. but. Yep. There's really not a whole lot else you could do. Yeah. So I buy a, let's say I, I buy the Tesla X, I write it up, I use it solely for business. I'm feeling really good. Uh, I want another one. I sell that one for 40,000 and I buy another one for 130. You're going to recognize the 40 and you're going to get $130,000 deduction. So you'd have a net deduction of about 90,000. Yeah. And, and keep in mind that this depreciation and capture will never be more than your gain on the vehicle. So if you take it to the junkyard to be scrapped, when you get $250 for it, your recapture is going to be $250. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Don't you love these? No, this one, I don't know if I love. I didn't put opening question on that. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I'm smart not to do that this time. I want to set up a Wyoming LLC to be a trustee of a land trust. They're doing that so that your name's not on the trust and your name is out of the public record. The LLC will have two members. Uh-uh-uh. How does that impact annual tax filing since it is not a single member LLC? The purchase in the land trust will be cash and there's no income or losses for the LLC. It will simply act as a trustee. Jeff. I had difficulties with this one because I have not seen an LLC used as a trustee. We do hundreds of them. Really? But you I've seen them used as a beneficiary. You never see them because we've used them as the trustee because technically... There's a violation there of the trust agreement, you know, but who's going to complain? The, the, it's the beneficiary's right to complain. Hey, I need an individual as a trustee. But um, you use them because we can use a Wyoming LLC and your name's not on it. And if you want your name like at your house, you don't want your name in a public record. Let's say that you're an actor, an artist, or a doctor, or a politician, <laughs> or a judge in the Supreme Court, you don't want anybody to know where you live, this is a way that you could own real estate without anybody knowing it's you. So we have this LLC, let's say Mm -hmm. it's 
not between spouses. It's not in a community property state. You just hit an issue. Explain that one. If the LLC is owned by spouses in a community property state, it is considered a single member LLC. You got it. It could be ignored. So it's called disregarded for tax purposes. You don't have to file a tax return for it. So here's my question for you, though. Mm -hmm. If this LLC is not transacting business, it's only serving as trustee. Mm -hmm. Why would you have two members? (laughs) That's exactly that, that, that. So that's the issue. Why do you have two people on this? It's not doing anything. The only reason you would do it is because you want to make sure that you maybe don't trust your spouse and you think that they'll convey the property someplace. But if you're in a community property state, it doesn't matter. If you're in a, even if you're in a, in a, uh, a separate property state, you may want to consider doing something through your living trust or something like that. But realistically, there's no reason to have, if it's just sitting there as a trustee, there's really no reason to, to have two people on it. Yeah. I mean, you, you've effectively formed a partnership by doing mm-hmm. that, yeah. uh, but I don't think they'd have any filing requirements because they're not transacting any business. They're just sitting there. Yeah. So uh, the, the problem that you have is the 1065. If the IRS takes the position that you owed it, it's the penalties on a monthly basis that get ridiculous. What is it? Like 195 bucks a month or something? Uh, last I saw it was up to 205 a month. Per, per partner, per right? Partner. So 400 bucks. So it could cost you about five grand a year to not file that if they decide you're doing business and the IRS would just say, you're a trustee of an LLC, uh, of a land trust. We think you're doing business. And, and real quickly on that, a partnership return is required if you have any items of income or expenses that can't be deducted. Yeah. And you can deduct because you'd have the, the fees for the LLC. It's a hundred bucks or whatever it is, 50 mm-hmm. bucks or whatever it is a year. It's cheap, but it's not free. So I would say you'd have to do, don't, have two people. How about that? All right. Inherited IRAs are distributions taxed no matter what, or can you shelter them with costs, say again, short-term rentals? Can you shelter with long-term rentals? Uh, the the inherited IRA, it doesn't matter that it's inherited. The, the distributions are taxable. I'm not going to say they're taxed, they're taxable because you could have cost SAGs or short-term rentals from somewhere else that are offsetting that income. But yes, it IRAs, unless it's a Roth IRA, are always going to be generating taxable income. Mm. When you have an inherited IRA, like there's two types. If it's a spouse, they can stretch it out over their life expectancy. Mm -hmm. And those rules are really funny too, because that's one of the options for a spouse to do, Mm -hmm. to basically treat it as their own IRA. It gets really complicated here, far more complicated than it ever should have been. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and they keep messing with it. What was the Secure Act that that messed with it some mm-hmm. more? So yeah. So whatever you have income, the the the, the punchline is there's a couple of different ways to offset the income. Number one is with the losses from your other activities, but number mm-hmm. two is, I believe you could just make up to hundred thousand dollars a year straight into a charity and not have to yes. recognize the income. Yes, you probably mentioned that. I'm nope. reading. I'm reading questions here. No, but that was a good idea. So this, I just thought of something else about this. I, I don't think he's talking about having short-term rentals in the IRA, but we would never want to have short-term rentals in the IRA, correct? Because that would be considered a trader business. Mm-hmm. So what kind of rental, short-term? If we had short-term rentals in the, the IRA. It hasn't been decided whether you have UBIT, but you have a trader business, you could have a problem. It, but what you would do is you would never have the IRA involved 
in operating it so that would be passive in its worst case. Have it rent long if yeah. they have properties. Yeah, you just have to make sure that you have a property manager if, if you're doing the, the short term. And you wouldn't be able to use the, the good old-fashioned strategy of renting to your corporation to make it rental either because that would give you um, something. All right, hold on for a second because there was a question about the vehicles and they were talking about making a vehicle available for executive compensation. And uh, you can make a car available to executives as part of their compensation, but you just said the magic word available as part of a compensation package. It's taxable. Yes. Personal use of a company vehicle. So if I have a, let's say I have a Bentley, or Bentley's, Bentleys are valuable nowadays. So let's say it's 300 grand. The, the company buys it and says, Jeff, you get to drive that home every day. Mm-hmm. And Jeff is now he's re, you're required to track your miles. And so they would look at it and say, wow, what's the least value of that vehicle to Jeff? If he used it for business, they would say, all right, you don't have to pay tax on that. If he used it for personal, they would say, whatever proportion, you're going to have to pay the least value. And there's a, they actually put out a, the numbers every year. And it's a big old chart and it says, here's how much you have to add into. So Jeff would have a big tax hit mm-hmm. and the business would have to withhold. So it's still taxable. So it sounds good always to give yourself. Well, that's the bad part of it is the business doesn't have to withhold. They just add the income to your federal income. But you're still. But the, you still owe tax on that. Amount. They wouldn't have a withholding requirement. No. Oh. Because it's usually done at year end. Oh, so I stand corrected. You don't have to. Do withholding, but that makes it worse because you're going to owe the tax on it 100%. Your business isn't messing with it. Is it subject to self-employment tax or to old age disability survivors no. and Medicare? No. All right. Yeah, we had a I had a doctor client who bought company cars for all of his employees. And it was like, and we had oops. to cal- do the calculation every year how much that mm. onto their W twos. We probably really love that. What did I get you for Christmas this year? Uh, you owe. $5,000. Yeah, they, they love the company cars, so they have to pay the taxes off. Yeah. I am a physician in a single specialty private practice under an LLP. I have my personal PLLC in whatever state it is, any state. Do I need to set up payroll and give myself a W-2? Go ahead and say it. It depends. Is that what you want me That's to say? What... That's what we went to school for. We charge a hundred bucks an hour to say it depends all day long. No. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm a physician in a single specialty pr- practice telling me that, that you're probably in an East Coast, probably New York, something around there, under an LLP, which is a limited liability partnership where you're setting that up so that there's no individual that's personally responsible for the activities of the partnership. So there's a practice group, more than likely. There's a PLLC, which is a professional limited liability company for that individual's medical license. And so the question is, is that PLLC set up as a disregarded entity or as some sort of corporation? Most states, they're going to be requiring that you're an S-corp. Uh, New York's kind of a funky state where I, you, you, they don't even have S-corps unless you ask. Mm, correct. So New Jersey's the same way. Yeah. So I think you're going to be an S-corp no matter what. And if you set up payroll, so let's just say you're taking money out of it, then the answer is, if I am taxed as an S-corp, I am going to have to take a salary, a reasonable salary, which rule of thumb is about a third of all the net profit. If I do not take money out of it and I just leave the money in there, technically I don't have to take a salary, which is bizarre. 
if I am disregarded, if that PLLC is disregarded just straight to me, I cannot take a salary. It's all treated as, as active ordinary income to me. And if that you said personal PLLC, so I'm going to assume there's no other partners in it. So if it was, if it was an LLC and then you had a sub, your PLLC was a partnership in that situation too, you could not take a salary because partners in a partnership are not employees. So do I need to set up payroll and give myself a W-2? The answer is yes, if that PLLC is an S-corp. The limited liability partnership, because it's a partnership, the answer would always be no, and you can't be an employee of it. So it all comes down to that PLLC and how it's taxed. Did I say that right? Yeah. The only thing I was wondering about is, since this is a medical profession, that the is passing income from the medical profession to the PLLC, if it's an S-corporation, do we need to look at possibly higher salaries than the third because of the source of the income? Because we usually say, what's generating the income? Honestly, the uh, I've never seen a case. The, the one case that would be on point was the CPA that took all of the distributions and didn't pay any salary, and they assessed him a third. I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never seen an audit on salaries of this yeah, corporation. As, as long as there is a salary. <laughs> what you see is if there's distributions, nobody takes it out. Yeah, if you're doing a distribution of a million dollars a year, and you're going to take a salary of at least three hundred thirty-three thousand. Yeah. You don't you don't dink around on that stuff, unless you have a written opinion from somebody. But again, your chances of getting scrutinized is about once every five hundred years under the current threshold because it's about it's point two last year, about point one is where it's currently sitting this year or for the last tax year. So my guess is that. S-corps are going to continue to be a thing of the past. There's just no money in it for anybody. And so as long as you pay yourself, just as long as you're paying yourself something, chances are you're never going to get scrutinized. So you can be a little aggressive on that one. But the IRS commissioner said it's they're going to be all caught up and things straightened out by the end of the year, which gave the Senate hearing a good laugh. The IRS is so smushed right now. They're about a year behind on their paper returns. Yeah. And you can't get through to them. If your individuals are dealing with these letters that come out of these guys, even after you pay things, it's just, they're a dumpster fire. But, you know, whenever you have a dumpster fire, get some, uh, what are those called? Marshmallows and some sticks and make some s'mores. I brought weenies. Well, you can make some meat. Uh, I'm going to make a s'more. <laughs> There's a fire. <laughs> There's an IRS fire. And I can't blame them. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, like there's anybody that really like used to be, hey, all the, the numerical people were kind of engineers and accountants. And then computer science came along and they said, hey, we're going to pay this profession over here some ridiculous amount. So a lot of the brain drain is going on over there in the computer sciences. So the IRS can't get people and they can't get really good people. Yeah, I, the IRS is making every CPA's life in America difficult. It's but we, we really don't blame the agents. They, they're doing the best they yeah. can, but they're completely understood. If you look at the audit rates, I do this every tax and asset protection. Hey, by the way, I have it up on the screen. You can sign up and it's free, the tax and asset protection workshop. The next one's coming up on May 21st. We have another one after that on June 4th. I'll spend the day with us. We do not record and send that out. We record them and keep them internally, but we do not send those out. We want you there. Audit rates right into the toilet for everybody other than the poor. For the poor, it's kind of going like this mm -hmm. because they're the low-lying fruit and they tend not to respond and they tend to get, just pay it. This is kind of cool. There's some neat comments there below. I didn't even look at those. 
Amazing event. It was packed with so much knowledge and information. Just when you think you thought of every aspect of protection for your personal portfolio, you learned something new. I would highly recommend anyone, the Anderson advisors, the entire team was very kind, caring, and attentive. Yeah, this is fun. I like that. And then it says 2020 and beyond. Okay, so we had that a little bit old. Somebody says, I heard today IRS destroyed millions of paper filed informational returns. Did you hear anything about that? We're going to have to look at that, Robin. It doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me, but there was uh, reports, like there's little listservs of, uh, of accountants in their Fresno office. They had a whole bunch of semi-truck, uh, the containers full of paper returns, literally just sitting out there last year. And everybody was kind of like, they just kept more would just pull up. And they were like, these are, they're not doing anything with them. They're not opening them. Maybe they take the checks out, but that's about it. Yeah, you know, somebody says IRS had sent three extensions to my rebuttal of their audit. Long dragged out saga. Yep. So it's tough. They're really tough. Oh, there it goes. Somebody clicked it. Report IRS destroyed 30 million paper tax documents. <laughs> I got to read that. Oh, yeah. my God. And, and it could be it that they've been scanned into the system and then destroyed them. Oh, this is good. An audit by the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration has found that Internal Revenue Service made an intentional decision to destroy an estimated 30 million paper filed informational return documents in March of 2021. Hopefully, they actually inputted that information first and then destroyed it. So maybe it's somewhere on a on a computer, but oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm just starting out in real estate investing. And I am questions. Yes. <laughs> You're not over. It's only something. What is that? 345. Oh, we're way. Okay. You're lagging, Jeff. I know. All right. I'm just starting out in real estate investing. and I'm looking to start with short-term rentals. One property will be a joint venture and two to three will be individually owned by me. Will there be a difference in the way the taxes are paid on both? Yes and no. The joint venture is going to be a partnership return. Uh, the other short-term rentals will just be reported on your uh, 1040. However, that partnership return, you're going to get, get, get a K-1 from that, and that will also get reported on your 1040. So it's not the partnership that'll pay the tax. It's just the partnership reporting the income on your behalf. So they're making fun of you because you said yes and no. It's more They, they said, just be straight, Jeff. Just say it depends. All right, I'm starting out in real estate. That's great. I'm looking to start short-term rentals. We already discussed that might be rental, that might be trader business. One property will be a joint venture. So this is really, forget that it's a property and think of it as like it's a business. Jeff and I are opening up a pizza shop. The most important thing about a joint venture is to establish clearly who's in charge. <clears throat> do not joint venture with the contractor who says, I'll do all the work. You put in the money. Like you gotta make sure that until that property is, we do these quite often or we have in the past. We'll set up an LLC. You will be the manager. You will have the right to everything until that property is done. Mm -hmm. Once they do what they promise to do, then they get to be on equal footing. Otherwise, it's all you. You're the cash. Otherwise, expect it to disappear. Now, one other thing I wanted to bring up, we we talked about earlier, there's the seven tests for material participation. Mm -hmm. If you are joint venturing with somebody, it makes it very difficult for both of you to be materially participating. Basically, for both of you to materially participate, you have to both each meet the 500-hour test. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is tough. You're going to have to really it's, be It's involved. very tough. Yep. And so, and by the way, here, here there, it's two to three will be individually owned by you, and then you have the short-term rental. 
again, if you're managing everything, there's something good about this is that you might qualify as a real estate professional. What Jeff is pointing out is that it's very unlikely that both of you guys could be material participants on on the same property. One of you definitely could, but two of you very doubtful. Mm -hmm. All right. I just made $200,000 on our first flip. Look at the camera and just give him a snarl. On your first flip, took me a while before I figured out how to make money on a flip. I'm not a big fan. I like to buy and hold. No, we made some good money back in the day, but I wish I had every one of those properties back. And in 2022, when prices were already sky high. Oh, shoot. You do that here. It's crazy. 20% growth. And that's like where in Summerlin, Mm -hmm. you're talking about 50% growth year over year. Everything's up like crazy. All right. So they just made $200,000 in their first flip. We closed in April of 2022. So first off, congratulations. Would you happen to know how much we should put aside for for, uh, state taxes as well, or for taxes and state taxes? So it's it's ordinary income, right? Mm -hmm. If you did a flip, it's trader business. So it's no difference than a pizza shop again. It's not, you're not an investor. We don't get other deductions other than the basis gets reduced out of the amount that you sold. So I assume you said you made 200,000, that you have $200,000 of profit. It depends on the vehicle that it's in. If you're in an S-Corp, there might be some things you can do reimbursements. You could get it to maybe perhaps you have your kids working on it or you find some other people to, to shelter. You could put a defined benefit plan in place if you're a high income person, a 401k, if whoever worked on it, you could put up to, what is it, 30000 or 29500 this year. If you're under 50, 50 years old and above it, then you'd be up at you'd be higher, you get an extra 6,500. And then plus you could do 25% of whatever it pays you. Like there's some, there's some things you can do if you were set up as a business before you made the 200,000. If you just made the 200,000 and that's it. What are the choices, Jeff? Yeah. At this point, you don't have a whole lot of choices. You have until the end of the year to burn it up, buy a big piece of equipment, buy a, like, what if they're going to keep doing flips? Then maybe we Put it, put it into a, a, a business, make it a, more than likely it'd be an S-Corp or an LLC tax as an S-Corp. And couldn't they maybe buy some equipment? Maybe they buy the big Kubota or something. And- they could buy some equipment. Uh, buying property is not going to do it for them. Mm-hmm. You need expenses. Yeah. You could do a SEP IRA because it's going to be considered active income if you materially participated on the flip. If I don't see how you couldn't in this situation, but let's just assume they did it in their individual name. If you did it in your individual name, depending on your other income, the tax you might need to set aside could be quite high. But we're going to try to get it down. We're going to try to get it down. You have until the end of the year to, to try to whittle that down some ways. But otherwise, you're adding it into your highest bracket. So it could be as high as 37% plus whatever your state is. It could be as high as 13%, which means about half of it. But um, let, let's be real. Look at your situation. If you ha- If you don't have a ton of income... Uh, or like you're used to making 100, 150 and you're married, then you're going to be in what, 32% range mm-hmm. on the top. And most of it's going to be at the 24 and 12 and 10. So like you're probably going to be around 15%, maybe put aside 20%. Oh, at least because you may be subject to self-employment taxes too. Yeah. When you flip, if you materially participated, again, it's hard not to participate when you're doing a flip in your name. One thing I probably would be doing if, if this happened to me is I'd be opening up that SEP and put in, putting $50,000 into that SEP. Here's the deal, though. 
even though we made the money in April of this year, you don't actually have to fund the SEP until you file your tax return next year, or if this is a S corp until it files its tax return in 2023. So you have right. a long time. So what do you put aside? Well, if this is the first year and they didn't anticipate this, chances are they won't have a penalty, right? They won't have a no. Yeah. So you're not going to have an obligation to do quarterlies yet. Correct. So you're not at least you're not getting penalized. So you could actually start putting aside money. Actually, I'll just make this simple. Talk to your accountant because you should be able to do a projection so that we're not guessing, right? Yeah. <laughs> make it easy. Otherwise, we'll go through 20 scenarios. Let's see. I am a co-owner of a C-Corp. The C-Corp owns real estate. Let's just stop and have a moment. <laughs> Which is the C-Corp's primary place of business since 2003. They grouped them, but instead of having them separate, they decided to put it in the same business. All right. We would like to get the real estate out of the C-Corp and into an LLC. Is this feasible? What steps need to be taken to minimize tax consequences? Jeff, what are the tax consequences? Um well, my, suggest- my suggestion is you sleep in the bed you made because the tax consequences are you have to recognize the gain on the fair market value of the property in order to get it out of the corporation. If You, you could always put it in an LLC inside the corporation, but to pull it out could have very large tax consequences. All right. And this is for David. Three issues here, right? Mm-hmm. A, are we liquidating that? C-Corp, if we're liquidating it in it in the your portion of the real estate is not greater than your basis in the C-Corp, or the, then technically we could get out of this without getting smushed. But that's not going to happen. More than likely, what we're going to have to do is, is perhaps we convert it to an S-Corp, and then you have built-in gain. Mm-hmm. And you have to, and what, what the IRS does is what they tax you at 21% and keep the asset as though it's held in the C-Corp. And then if it pays it out to you, then you'd have dividend. Yes. So you're going to get hit with about 36% tax if it's a sizable amount. Other option, which you may or may not like, is to buy it from the C-Corp at its fair market value, get an appraisal, set up an LLC and have the LLC buy it as an installment sale over a period of years and to acquire that property over time and let the C-Corp recognize that income over a longer period uh, mm-hmm. window. Is that right? Yeah. Can you think of anything else? Not really, because we've talked about with it having been in so long, that's a lot of depreciation and, and a lot of appreciation combined. Mm-hmm. So we've had them where they put real estate into the corp and we've been able to pull them back through shareholder loans to kind of offset what was going on. But that, I, I don't see that happening here. Mm. I also, I really don't like converting it to an S corporation because we're really not accomplishing anything. We're not separating the real estate from the business. Yeah, they did this because, I mean, I know why most people do this. So he, there's a rule that says if I have real estate and I'm, I'm leasing it to my own business, mm-hmm. I can group those two activities as a single economic enterprise. So if I'm making money in my business, but I'm losing money on the real estate because of depreciation. I can use that depreciation against my business income right. without even qualifying as real estate professional. That's why they did it. And now they're going crap, which I get. So you're probably, I, realistically, you may want to just continue down this path. And eventually you're going to sell the C-Corp. Maybe if you sell the C-Corp, don't take the property out of it. Just sell the C-Corp and let somebody else deal with it. 
So if we put an LLC inside the C Corp and shove the real estate down into the LLC, no tax. It's just but fine. do we get any liability protection that way? Yes, we'd get we get liability protection inside the property. Let's say the property burns down and causes fatalities mm-hmm. or horrific, like they would be stuck in the LLC no matter what. So we at least we keep it out of the business. If the business, however, gets into financial peril, that. LLC is an asset that's available to the creditor of the business. So chances are we would isolate it in LLC inside the C-Corp, unless there's a good reason, just crunching the numbers, then in which case you may want to sell it to an outside LLC. Or if you have sufficient basis, like you dumped a bunch of money into the C-Corp over the years, you and your your other owner, since you said co-owner, and you have enough basis, it's just the gain on the property that you got to worry about. Right. So mm-hmm. it might be that you look and saying, hey, let's transfer it out to the shareholders. And if you have enough basis, it may not be taxable. So you're going to look at those things. But there's really three things. I wouldn't switch to an S Corp. That'd be the one I'd rule off the table right away. Unless there's a real compelling reason, I'd be looking at should I distribute it or should I or should I buy it? And if your corp, if if your company is going to wind up anytime soon. You might want to just wait there and, and and do it at that point. If you're going to keep the business going, you might want to do the sale. So I hope that was... No, I agree with that. All right. There are conflicting opinions about this question. What say you? I set up a series LLC taxed as a corp with 84 cells. Master filing, which is master series filing, master operating agreement, master EIN with 84 individual filings. 84 agreements. Do I need 84 individual EINs or can I roll them up under a master EIN? I'm going to take the easy part first. And that's if any of these cells are doing anything that is not disregarded up to the master, they're going to need their own EIN. Say you make this cell corporation, this one a partnership, those are going to need their own EIN. From what I've seen, it really depends on what state you're in. Because different states recognize the entities and the cells in different ways, whether mm-hmm. they're separate entities or not. If it needs to bank, if it's taxed with different ownership, taxed differently, <laughs> if it has payroll, mm-hmm. any of those things, it needs the EIN. Yeah, we, we've seen issues with people having a cell and they go to the bank to try to get a loan or something. And Where's your EIN? Well, this isn't yeah. matching up with the EIN. In a, in a series is a fancy way of saying we have a master LLC. And then it has these little series that are all treated as separate LLCs. And they can have separate owners. They, you know, again, he's mentioning that they have, or he or she is mentioning that they have operating agreements. The only reason you'd have separate operating agreements is if you're trying to isolate them. And if you're trying to isolate them, get the EIN. Yeah, It's silly not to do that. And even if they're just disregarded, I'd have an EIN on it, but ignore it and tax it to the parent or ignore it and tax it to me. Whatever the case, I still have an EIN. It doesn't hurt you to have the EIN. It yeah. makes IRS a little crazy. And, but... and, and, a, and a lawyer would poke at it. If you didn't, you may as well get the EIN. You went through all the trouble to set this thing up. You have 84 cells. That sounds like substantial assets. Yeah, you know, This could be a taxi company. This could be something that holds a bunch of real estate. It could be something that owns valuable assets, maybe a bunch of equipment, whatever. If you went through that much trouble, don't skip the last part just because, because you just don't want to give them an argument where they can poke a hole at you. I don't think it would be dispositive, meaning that it would just tank you, but I think it would be an argument. 
and it, depending on whatever else they could find, it could be a it could prove to be that proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. So we don't want to see somebody fall into that. All right, I am, and we're this is the last one, I think. I am a real estate investor and have a full time W two job. I'm in the market for a new SUV. Historically, I have just deducted the appropriate mileage for real estate projects. I was wondering if I got a vehicle and rented it out a time or two during the month with Turo, would that affect my situation? Let me start off by saying, personally, I dislike mixed-use assets. We were just talking about this earlier. If you fall below 50% and your business has the car or vehicle, you have a taxable event back to you. So let's let's say this is uh, you're getting a new SUV that you're using for both business and for Turo. Yeah, you could do that. Absolutely. I would I would continue due to the mileage reimbursement on the business side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Turo, you're going to have to track mileage and particular expenses and so forth. Depreciation is going to be almost nothing on this uh, because the percentage is going to be so low. You're using it a couple times a month. Well, it depends on how much you're real. Like if you're a real estate investor and you drive every day for your job, you're not really an investor. You're a developer or you're in construction or you're, you're something else. Well, I was just assuming if they're using Turo that they're running it out to other people. No, no, they are. I'm just saying, oh, okay. I'm saying is that what it looks like is they have a full-time W-2 job. Yes. So if they're using the SUV to go back and forth to home, those are personal use. Yeah. But if you're driving it, just as much for investments and you just want to push it over the edge with the Turo and you're going to have somebody put up two, 300 miles on it every month that with, with the, with the Turo app, you're renting it out to somebody that might be, you know, that might be enough to keep you on the business side, but you still are only going to get a portion of the depreciation. I see what you're doing there. Yeah. And so like me personally, unless you were going to make that a real business, I'm reimbursing myself the miles. Even if it's Turo, I'm reimbursing myself the miles. You know, hey, you could use this. Just reimburse me whatever business miles you put on it. Yeah, you absolutely could do that. Yeah, it's easier. And, you know, with Turo, just make sure you get the right type of insurance because a lot of insurance companies won't cover you if, if, if you're renting it. Otherwise, it's so much cheaper to do it this way too. Instead of having the business try to own where you're doing commercial insurance, if, if it's just one vehicle, it's cheaper just to have the regular old, you know, your plain old fashioned insurance and just reimburse yourself. So much easier. Mm-hmm. And we don't care about the vehicle value. If you sell the vehicle, it doesn't matter. You're just getting it. It's 58 and a half cents a mile this year. Use Mile IQ. It's a simple app that you could get on the, the app store. And uh, if you have that, then you could just track whatever your business miles are. And write yourself a check every quarter or whatever it is, every month or every quarter uh, or even once a year and reimburse yourself for those miles. So if you have 10,000 miles that you put on this thing, that's not a small check. That's $5,850, right? So, and that's money you don't have to report as tax or anything. You just, you get to just keep that money. All right. If you like this sort of stuff and you haven't had enough. By all means, our, we, we record these, put them on our YouTube channel, and we have a podcast channel where you can go look at all the different podcasts. Clint's been very active. Uh, if you like podcasts, he does a great job. I turn all the Tax Tuesdays of me and Jeff into, into our podcast too, so you can go back and listen to those. There's my channel again. Hey, look, I'm actually wearing a suit. No, I'm not. That's just a sports coat. I, was, I wasn't even wearing uh, pants in that 
video. Uh, <laughs> you could go on to the YouTube and subscribe. We love it when you subscribe uh, because, well, because it's fun. Plus, it's one of those things where you get over 100,000, you, you feel special. No, but if you subscribe, then whenever a new video comes out, you're notified. That's it. It doesn't hit you and email you all the time. It just says, hey, we just put one out. And you could say, like, I think today was about audits. So if you like learning about audits, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, watch the audit. If you want to learn how to keep your assets invisible, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, click on the uh, make your assets invisible. They're right there. If you want to learn the difference between a will and a living trust, same thing. All sorts of great videos that are up. Uh, nonprofits, if you want to learn about 501c3s, there's a ton of videos on there. And then not just mine, but Clint has a wonderful uh, YouTube channel as well. And, uh, you know, together we've been doing this for more than 20 something years. So Clint does a great job. He's, he's, he spends his time more on the asset protection. I spend my time more on the tax. Yeah, but together we get a pretty comprehensive look. So the, here's a bunch of the videos. Like you can see, what are some good ones up there? I do do some of the passive investing stuff because I'm pretty adamant about that. There's avoid IRS audit. So yeah, we do the analysis between sole proprietors and S-corps. So if you have anybody who's a sole proprietor, you can make fun of them by citing all the facts of how hosed they are. You could talk about combating inflation and I'm making a fist. You could say, why is housing inventory so low? Like there's a ton of fun stuff on there. And there's even asset protection for physicians. So if you're a doctor, and uh, you're annoyed at the idea of getting sued, we'll show you some simple ways to minimize that heartburn. So anyway, so uh, we've had a lot of fun today. Anything you want to add? I've been a chatty Kathy. I know for all the chatting you did in that first question, we actually did pretty good for time. It's 4.06. We used to do these an hour and a half, two hours every time, and we got razzed for it because we'd go about 20 questions. All right. Uh, if you want to, if you have a tax question, Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. No cost. We'll respond to you. Do not worry. We're, we're, we know how hard it is, and and, uh, and it's really tough. And to see accountants right now, good luck getting into an accountant. It's brutal out there for those folks. Feel good, you know. Feel bad that they're having to deal with the IRS. We don't want to blame the IRS for everything. It's not just them. And shoot, those poor agents are just getting smoked. So, but here's an easy way to get some answers. If you are an accountant, quit emailing us like 10 of your questions for your clients. Right. See, I added that. There's a few of you. We know who you are. We're like, oh my God. No, but but we, we actually like it. We actually like the uh, going back and forth. We love all the tax professionals out there. We know how hard it is and it's hard to find uh, good folks to, to bounce things off of. All right, come on back in two weeks and we'll do another Tax Tuesday. And uh, hopefully you have a lot of prosperity and you have a good time in the next two weeks. Don't watch the news. It seems to be ugly. No, actually watch the news, but, but put on your critical thinking glasses or your earmuffs for some of it. And uh, hopefully we see you back here in two weeks and we're through all this nastiness in the stock market and yeah, it's don't raging. Look, don't look at your 401k right now. The life hack. Here's the life hack for, for investing. This works great, by the way is put all your stuff on auto buy, like just continue to reinvest, buy like your favorite companies, about 10 of them, put it in a, a, a nice stock portfolio, have that account automatically funded and then lose your password for about 20 years and try not to worry about it. At the end of the 20 years, you're going to have a big chunk of money sitting there waiting for you without all the heartburn. And I'm just kind of teasing on that, but I'm not really. 
Right. All right, guys, we will see you back here in two weeks. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, and, uh, thanks Jeff for hanging out with us. Another one. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 